0: All right, today, we are in October. We were in October last week, Bree kicked us off. We were going to look at the spiritual, kind of look at the spiritual realm because it's October, and because the media is blaring all things spiritual, whether biblical, uh, realistic, or whatever they choose to do, that's kind of what they're promoting right now, and that's kind of how people view October, and we just thought it would be good. Um, to go back and look at spiritual worldview and the traditional worldview, which is what Bree started us with um, last week and so a lot of times when we 've done this in the past, we tend to focus on the spiritual warfare part of it, and we will focus on that a bit. Um, thank you and what we we often neglect to talk about the good guys, and we we tend to focus on those things that we battle. So, today I want to talk about the good guys. I want to deconstruct, there's that word, our view of the angelic realm and try to put some reality back into it based on scripture. Um, we're at a, here we are, thousands of years after Christ's death, and the rise of the church in different forms. And in that rise of the church, there are lots of images and ideas that have been promoted about the spiritual realm. And so we're going to kind of look at some of those ideas and decide whether they actually filter through the Bible okay. Um, here's one for an example. This is a good meme I found online. So not knocking on any of you precious moments people in here. Don't want to offend. Um, here we have on the, on, the, you know, on the left kind of what people think about sometimes when they think about angels and they think about little child angels once in a while. And then what we have on the right is actually the description of one of the angels in the Bible that we see. And uh, it's just an example of kind of where we've gone as a, as a culture uh, and as a Christian culture also. Um, so this is kind of the view we're going to look at today. We're just going to kind of figure that out. Last week, restarted us off, we had a good discussion about heaven and earth, the idea of heaven and earth being two different realms that once in a while they meet, Um, and we kind of got a look at how the the authors of the Bible thought about that. Um, We also talked about the idea of sun, moon, and stars, and what they represented for those people back in the day, and how they represented heavenly beings, and um, I mean, we know that there's physical elements, but we also know that how they were viewed by the ancients, Uh, We talked a little bit about the idea of sacred space. The sacred space is that area where heaven touches earth, right? So we talked about the Garden of Eden, um, and then how the idea of the Garden of Eden, it gets kind of used again in the tabernacle and in the temple. Um, In fact, in the tabernacle, you have the Holy of Holies and all around on the curtains, In the Holy of Holies, you'd find... All these lush tropical scenes with cherubim and seraphim on them, and tried to give you the idea of Eden when you were in the tabernacle. And they did the same thing with the temple. Then finally, uh, I'll just talk a little bit about the idea of sacred space is now in us. We're not worried about another giant temple in Jerusalem, because Holy Spirit dwells in us, and so that is the idea that we are now sacred space. That's how we can come before uh, Yahweh because of what what Jesus did to purify and clean us out, and Holy Spirit now indwelling us. Um, Last week we talked a little bit about the idea with the the sun, moon, and stars, that you have physical beings, spiritual beings that are also present in the physical realm at times too. So these these beings go between both dimensions or realms or whatever kind of word you want to put on it. Um, Heaven is a place. I like to describe it as a realm when you say dimension now. Uh, with with science, you kind of get different ideas on what dimensions are. Um, it's a physical place that exists in the spiritual. When we think of spiritual, we think of invisible and intangible, which is something we need to get out of our head a little bit, because that's not always the case. Um, again, the inhabitants seem to be physical. So we kind of talked a little bit about this last week, I just want to talk a little bit before we jump into this, how we view spiritual. Um, how we view the, world, the word spiritual oftentimes is how we have been taught the word spirit. And so for a lot of people, when they grow up, they think spirit, they think ghost. They, they think like see-through beings, if you do see them, that are intangible and go through walls. And that's just kind of how our culture uh, brings up this idea of spiritual and we have to look at that and decide is that how the bible represents the spiritual or is that something that we've just assimilated from our culture so today we're going to talk about the angelic and i want to clear up the word angel real quick because some of these beings that we'll talk about are not technically angels Um, angel means messenger in hebrew comes from the word malak which is messenger And the word in Greek is angelos, which also just means messenger. So sometimes we have to be careful when we read the word angel in our Bible. um, Because there are times when you read the Hebrew and Greek, where they're talking about a human who is a messenger for the king, and they refer to him as a moloch, as sometimes what we translate as angel. So we got to kind of keep that in mind, that the idea of angel, when it was used in the Bible, was not necessarily a description of like what the being consists of, like, like Tom is human, but Tom can also be a messenger. Does that make sense? It's, it's Tom's job would be being a messenger, but he is a human. Whereas sometimes now we've taken angel, that that spiritual being is angel, that's just the type of being it is. No, that spiritual being has a function of being a messenger, just like Tom is a human but Tom can function in the role of the messenger. Does that make sense a little bit? So when we say angel from here on out, when I talk about the angelic, I just want to talk about the good guys. I don't necessarily want to talk about what people think like human looking thing with wings, as we'll find out these humans that look like angels never have wings in the Bible. So where does that come from? Um, so yeah, same thing with, de- with, with the demonic. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the bad guys, too. And when we talk about demons, there are many different things in the spiritual realm that are evil. And we can call them demonic, but they aren't technically defined as demons. And the reason that makes, it makes a difference is because when we think about the spiritual realm, oftentimes we think about good versus bad, which is fine but we put all the characters in two columns of angels and demons. In the spiritual world, in the Bible, it's not as simple as angels and demons. There is this whole cast of characters and beings, and whether we call them creatures or beings at times, the Bible is full of these different things. Paul refers to these different things. And sometimes we come up with ideas in spiritual warfare. Sometimes we come up with with these notions that are based on a very elementary angel versus demon thing and that's not the case of the bible it is good versus bad it is good versus evil however we want to say that that's fine so that's kind of what i want to break into i want to get into look at what's kind of represented in the bible how do we view the spiritual realm how does that come up in our vocabulary our vocabulary oftentimes is what determines our our view of things what we were taught Uh, spiritual beings don't always have to be intangible So think of all the examples in the Bible that we've talked about recently just in Genesis where it says these angels and creatures are on earth and they are physical things. I could go and touch them. An example of this, when Jesus rises from the dead, his disciples are able to touch him. Now Jesus is no longer in a human body. Jesus, I believe Jesus was in a glorified state. That's why they didn't recognize him when Jesus was walking around after resurrection and it took them a bit, uh, that, that glorification, that idea, uh, you know, like we as Protestants and as evangelicals, we talk about like when you die and you come back, you get your glorified body. Um, it's that glorification process. Jesus was back in this glorified body that was still spiritual, but yet physical. It, it boggles our mind because oftentimes we say that things are either or, spiritual or physical. Um, so yeah, don't, don't just try to think of like invisible, intangible beings that flip in and out of doors and through walls and different things. And, um, that's a very medieval view on things. That's kind of where it rises from. It, it came from the Catholic church, um, and the depictions in art. First good guy I want to talk about is the ultimate good guy. It is the uncreated spiritual being or beings of a different class. This is the spiritual being that is above all other spiritual beings. This is who we serve. Uh, we serve the Trinity. We serve Yahweh, whose eye, no eye has ever seen him. His very presence illuminates eternity. From the beginning, that was the source of light. In the end, that will be the source of light. It is this, this if we even want to call it a being, it is It is the thing that is Yahweh. Uh, we have Jesus, part of that Trinity, who is also Yahweh. Um, He has a spiritual form. We've seen his glorified body before his incarnation. We can see that in the Old Testament. We also see his glorified body after his resurrection. And for a time, Jesus was human for his life there. um, He was born into humanity. He had a human body. The human body died. After resurrection, he's got his glorified body. So now we have Jesus' glorified body at the right hand of God. Uh, Holy Spirit, unknown form, we don't really know. The Bible represents Holy Spirit as all these different things at times. We see him as a dove. Sometimes we see him as fire. Sometimes it's, it's a wind. It says it's, a, it's God's breath. Uh, he has lots of forms and icons, if you will, um, and he's in us. So what does, that, you know, what does that look like with Holy Spirit in us? And we can go out and represent God in the image of him through Holy Spirit. This Trinity, there is nothing comparable. So when we talk about spiritual beings over the next three weeks, there's a lot of them in the Bible. None of them compare to Yahweh. People might give worship to these spiritual beings, but there's none like Yahweh. And this was the belief all the way through the Bible, regardless of what people on television would like to tell you about ancient Hebrew belief, Um, We'll just look at some Bible verses here that distinctly describe Yahweh and Yahweh's supremacy over all other spiritual beings. Um, There's none in the class of the Trinity. Remember, Jesus is the unique Son of God. There is no other Son of God like Jesus. Uh, Just going through verses real quick, there's no holy one like Yahweh. Indeed, there is none beside you. When it says there is none beside you, it doesn't mean that no others exist. How would that be a compliment? How would that be a praise? What it means is that Yahweh is up here. The others are down here. There's no others up here on Yahweh's level. There's none beside him. O Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. This is Solomon as he's dedicating the temple. O Yahweh, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Again, Yahweh's supremacy above everything. Creator, God. For you, O Yahweh, are most high over all the earth. You are greatly exalted over all gods. Who is like you, Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Again. Supreme over all the other spiritual beings, lowercase g gods, however you want to go with that. Going back to Genesis where we were last week. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Just talked about this last week. I'm not going to spend much time on it. This was already in there and Brie covered this, kind of this portion. Um, then that same that same chapter, we get down to 126. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Did the Hebrews have a belief in the Trinity? You can just answer. No. No, they had a theory of two powers, which was present in Second Temple Judaism. And that was their wrestling with this angel of Yahweh and Yahweh. But they did not have a Trinitarian view. So what, a Hebrew, what is the Hebrew writer intending with this? What is the author intending? who we believe to be Moses. What is Moses' intention with this? Who is our, make man in our image? Who's the us? The spiritual beings. So I think Genesis precedes us by telling us when the spiritual beings are created. And based on their belief, I think it's when he makes the lights. I think that's a representation of the spiritual beings. And then in 126, the spiritual beings are present for the creation of man. The spiritual beings do not create man. If you read further in Genesis... So God created, but they're with him present. Job talks about this. Job says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? This is Yahweh speaking. Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So again, this is hearkening back to Genesis 126. There are these spiritual beings present at the creation of all things. Um, They were rejoicing with the creation of man. This is also why we get that picture in the Christmas story, which is coming up, which actually I guess was like a month ago. But when we celebrate it in a month, this is where you get the story of the idea of Jesus is born. And what do we have? We have the heavenly host singing in the heavens at the birth of Jesus. It's supposed to relay you back to this idea that when God created man, it was wonderful. The angels were very happy about it. And then we get that same, that same typology there uh, at the beginning of the nativity story with the angels are filling the skies rejoicing. These sons of God are rejoicing at the birth of new man. Psalm 110. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. The, the Holy ones are these spiritual beings, for who in the skies can be compared to our Lord? Who among the heavenly beings, uh, some translations like the e s v and uh, was it the new sons of God is like put there instead of heavenly beings, they differentiate it by sons of God. Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones. There's those holy ones in council again. And awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea, and when its waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And so we're just looking at these biblical groups, these sons of gods, these spiritual beings. Sons of gods are referenced throughout the Bible. Um, in the New Testament, who becomes the new sons of God? We do. We do. We, we get to take our place back. We get to, to be restored to that hanging out with God, and that heaven and earth in between place. And uh, in the future, we get to rule with God. We are the new sons of God. Paul makes that very clear. That's why Paul talks about right now we're a little bit less than angels but we will be judging angels in the future. We we assume our position on that council of the holy ones. Holy ones in the Old Testament is always angels. Holy ones in the New Testament oftentimes becomes the believers. It's that transmission throughout. Um, I won't go down the Rahab thing because I like going down the Rahab thing, but... Angelic beings, people will call them different things. Remember, we're just going to use angelic just as a term of saying the good ones. Uh, people refer to them as celestial beings, spiritual beings, the sons of God. We even divined uh, uh, our own idea of when you have plural for angels, we like to say choirs. That's why you get it in some of your Christmas songs, choirs of angels. That It's not necessarily that they're singing. You could have a choir of angels going to war. We just call them choirs as they're plural. I don't know why we did that can be thought of as living creatures. We're going to talk more about the living creatures. Um, They're not human, but they are very similar in a lot of cases when we talk about these beings. So, going through the Bible, we talked about Genesis 1, the first spiritual beings we get. Ultimately, we see Yahweh in the beginning. Then we get a group of these that he created that are in the heavens. Um, And then the next, uh, we're not going to do bad guys, so we're going to skip the serpent right now. We'll talk about the serpent next week. Um, But the next spiritual beings we get are the cherubim. And Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, out of that sacred space. And Genesis 3.24 says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I don't know what the flaming sword that turns all the different ways. That's pretty cool sounding. It'd be cool to see. I don't know what it is. The Bible never mentions the flaming sword thing again. But I like it. Hebrew, uh, cherubim, come from the word uh, cherubim. It means living creatures, which is why sometimes you see the translation, it'll be talking about the living creatures. Uh, the word is found 91 times in the Bible, and scholars believe it is most likely to be a loan word from the Akkadians. Like it's not something that was generically just brought up in the Hebrew life. It was a borrowed word. We have a lot of borrowed words in the language that we speak. It's not uncommon. The Akkadian is underneath there. It's kind of small for those of you that like to see those old languages. That's what it is. We see them throughout the whole Bible. Uh, We see them on the walls of the tabernacle. We see them on the walls of the temple. And you have the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, right? The ones that are protecting They're facing and protecting God's holy presence that rests between them. Um, They were not baby angels bowed down with their wings. That's not what was on the ark. That's how we always depict the ark in all of our pictures and stuff. They weren't even human-like. They were, we'll see, I'll show you some pictures here. Um, All over the ancient Near East, primarily the Sumerian-related civs, those civilizations that came out of the Sumerians, they're guardians of sacred space, and I'll show some pictures here of what that looks like. Um, here we get a couple of how some of the cherubim were depicted in Sumeria and in Babylonia and in different civilizations, that smaller ones that formed out of them. You see they've got the beast with the human head. They have the wings. They have all these things that are described in the Bible. They don't necessarily look exactly like that in all of the things, but that's the idea. That's that sacred being... Uh, that strange creature that guards the sacred presence. So we see that. Um, There's the Ark of the Covenant with uh, probably not biblically accurate cherubim on top, but the idea they're guarding the presence of God. That's why the wings are indwelt, is this idea. Now, Egyptians had a box, had something very similar to the Ark of the Covenant. When the Egyptians would build these and sometimes float them down the rivers, the gods would dwell in these boxes and they would actually put idols of gods between the two cherubim. And so this is another instance of Yahweh saying, you don't make an image of me, which is brought up all the way through the Torah. You don't have images of me. And uh, he would come and dwell there. So that's tidbit. Here is another depiction of an old, like the hanging gardens of Babylon. And the idea that you have the different steps going up with the ziggurats. And that if you look if I had a pointer, you see the cherubim down below, up at the side. They guard the entrance to the sacred space. So the idea of cherubim are all over the ancient Near East. Um, and they are strange creatures. So when we talk about cherubim, that's what we're talking about. When we, get the, when we get to Isaiah and you see the Isaiah and the Ezekiel passages with the stuff going on around the thrones, that's what we get. That's where people try to attach wings to angels. That's where the wings come from, from the seraphim and the cherubim. So that's where we get the idea of wings. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Here are some good Bible project depictions. I like them. They always do a good job with them. And, I, and so those are pictures from the spiritual beings uh, videos you can watch online. It's the idea, and this is how the Bible describes them, strange creatures. Another meme I found, I prefer the real cherubs with the baby angels there. I said the real cherubs, they try to give them like an angel with a sword. And then they give them that weirdo Babylonian cherubim thing. Um, just kind of, this is what, this is what we've done with our spiritual beings in the Bible. We've kind of People are. I think. I think it comes from the fact that as we discover more and more about the ancient Near Eastern culture and what these words mean and what they look like, uh, people are afraid that it makes the Bible look like it stole things from other civilizations. And I, I think it's just the opposite. I think. Uh, I think Moses is laying down. This is how it is. This is the real story. Uh, we're going to jump to the seraphim next. They're the other good guys. And when I say good guys, I assume that they're still. In league with God? I don't know. All of these beings have free choice. That's another thing that sometimes we get taught to us at times, is you get these robots, and these or like these robot angels, like basically these angels just do this and this and that, and the angelic beings go and do exactly. Um, It seems to be that they have free will. They make bad choices. They do naughty things all throughout the Bible. And even in the New Testament, Paul is still worried about them doing naughty things. Um, so there's free will among these beings. I think that's, that's not what the image of God means, but I think that's part of being built that way. Um, so the Hebrew, the word is seraph. The plural is seraphim. Biblical use goes back and forth between snake and burning ones. You can read seraph in this packet, pa- passage. We'll identify it as the spiritual being. We can read it in another passage, and it's just another word for snake. Um, and as we'll see, the culture of the time married these two things together. Uh, with Hebrew, you always get the Hebrew words. The ancient Hebrew didn't have the vowels in it. So when you take the, the word for seraph and you add different vowels, you can get different things. You get fiery, you get sorcery. Um, there, you know, there's only so many combinations you can make with vowels and the consonants that are there. But it's it's interesting because you get those triple innuendos. And uh, so you get like fiery, sorcery, flying serpent. Um, those are the different ways, that burning ones. That's, it's this whole idea. Um, the coolest thing about archaeology is we keep finding nice Judean stuff. And we found some Judean seals lately from the 8th century. And they do depict them as flying snakes when they refer to the seraphim. Um, yet having human characteristics as encountered by Isaiah in his commissioning as a prophet... Seraphim comes to talk to Isaiah when he visits the throne room. Seraphim's come and they they talk to him and did stuff with, I'd encourage you to go read it. Uh, Same way that these are actually represented in Egypt uh, with the throne and royalty connotations. In fact, some of the Egyptian kings like to equate themselves as being spiritual beings. That's why you see the the snake stuff on their their, uh, headpieces. Uh, so this is an example of an old Sumerian on the left, the whole idea of the winged serpents. So that's the winged serpent guy. Um, and then I threw this in just as like something to chew on. That's Quetzalcoatl from down in Central America. And he was a large feathered serpent also who would come and demand things from people. Makes me wonder if it's a fallen seraphim. Speculation, not in the Bible, just saying Here are the Judean seals. So as you can see from these Judean seals, you have the old Hebrew underneath it, and you have the pictures. They're talking about seraphim. And if you were royal, you use that as one of your symbols. You get multiple snake, humanoid, winged creatures on the seals. So we do know that this is how they're viewing the seraphim. This makes sense because when we read Isaiah and we get throne room stuff from Ezekiel, it's similar stuff that's thrown in. So, so far, have we got little human people with wings yet from our angelic beings? We have not. It's strange. So, so far, we've talked a little bit about the sons of God. We've talked about the cherubim. we talked about the seraphim. Now we're going to talk about the watchers. This is one that doesn't get a lot of play, but it is in the Bible, and I think we need to talk about it. Daniel 4 references the watchers, and at times we'll translate it to holy ones. And these tend to come and make decrees over things and over people. Daniel 4.13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, To the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Just pause right there. Who is the most high when you see the most high and it's capitalized? That is Yahweh. Yep. That is, he is most high. What does most high mean? Out of everybody else. Specifically for the Hebrews, They were designating that he is above all other spiritual beings. That is what most high is. So sometimes that's why you get, when they talk about these spiritual beings, these angels, um, if you will, they're called sons of God also, to denote that they're created, they're under. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, and it just goes on, Nebuchadnezzar is going to get his business. He's going to start acting like a beast and eating grass doing the Nebuchadnezzar thing. We also see the, uh, the watchers through the Second Temple writings. Again, this is extra biblical stuff, so I don't put this on the footing of the Bible, but it is informative. Um, so we see these watchers mentioned in other Second Temple writings. Uh, same thing, holy ones. The first book of Enoch equates a group of watchers as the sons of God in Genesis 6 that come down to do the naughty stuff with women. Um, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, The reference in other Second Temple books, Tertullian taught, Tertullian's one of those early church fathers. I think he was about 180 AD uh, was when he was teaching, and he taught that it was the reason of the watchers that caused Paul to command coverings for the Corinthian congregation. So when it talks about covering your head, to not tempt the angels or whatever, he's specifically talking we I'm guessing that if I looked into the Greek on that, when it says angels, I'm wondering if it even says angelos, or if it says holy ones, referencing the watchers. Um, I could look into that. But yeah, that was, Tertullian was like, it's, it's this group that we're worried about with the head coverings. Uh, the next thing we're going to look at is probably the strangest of the beings. Uh, and that's the ophanim. That's the name we've given them. And basically it's just kind of a, Hebrew word for like these wheel creatures. So it just means wheels. Now, as I looked, this is in Ezekiel. This is part of Ezekiel's first vision with going to heaven. Uh, Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures. We already talked about those living creatures. One of each for the four of them. And for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along, along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, those stood." And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Anybody else confused? I'm sure that Ezekiel was confused, and I think Ezekiel's doing his best in describing what he's seen. But those are those wheels within wheels with the eyes, that strange thing that we talk about. And they are referred to it at times as, as living creatures. Uh, Daniel references the thrones. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his coming was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. So again, Ancient of Days is Yahweh. Yahweh's coming, this is the court scene, this is another divine council scene. Um, Yahweh is coming down to take his seat. As he takes his seat, the thrones are also coming in, and then it references the thrones by him. Everybody likes to take this throne. They like to take these thrones. If you watch ancient aliens, they like to take these thrones and turn them into UFOs. Well, the wheels on the wheels and the eyes were windows. Aliens. That's what they want with everything. So, but the Bible is depicting them as living creatures to the best of our understanding. Like These are seem to be sentient things that follow both Yahweh at times and follow the other spiritual beings at times. So that's one depiction somebody did. I liked it just because I liked the color scheme. Um, wheels and wheels and wheels. Fiery eyes referred to as the thrones for another name. Uh, Second Temple sourcing also refers to the different thrones. The early church fathers had an understanding of what the thrones were too. You can get into different things of angelology with it, but we don't need to get into all of that stuff. Um, I just want to cover what we see in the we see in the Bible. Um, I will say that Catholics and Eastern Orthodox do have a hierarchy of all these different beings where they try to place them in some kind of order. Um, again, I don't feel like there's enough in the Bible for me to do that. Some of these things are just mysterious. And if God wanted us to know more, he could have put more in there, but here's, so we've gone through the spiritual cast so far. So, we have sons of God, which we can kind of equate as watchers for the most part. Cherubim, seraphim, the ophanim, at times thrones. Um, and then we have coming up our angels, in quotation marks. These are the ones we like to talk about the most and put in movies and ridiculous, well, a lot of ridiculous things we do with angels. Angels coming down and falling in love and having a romance movie, but oh, he has to give up being an angel. That stuff's just weird. And then the other thing we like to do is, well, he died. He's an angel now. Yeah, that's, that's not an angel either. He's, he's a spiritual being because he always was a spiritual being, but now he might be a spiritual being with a glorified body, which is way cooler than being a spiritual being in our bodies. Um, but he's not an angel. And so we have a lot of angel stuff in a lot of the New Age where, uh, yeah, just third angel. People come back as angels. There's angels and all these different religions and New Age things, which we're going to talk about the bad guys in the next couple weeks, and we'll we'll brush on a bunch of New Age stuff. Um, Angels. We first run across them after we get through the world history portion of Genesis, which is one run through 11. Talked a lot about Genesis. We've actually talked about a lot of these first angel things in the last couple weeks. So they appear human-like but also distinguishable. So we get these angels that show up. Remember, they show up for Abraham at times. Um, I'm not going to talk about Angel of Yahweh a whole lot because we've spent a lot of time on Angel of Yahweh in the past and my feelings on Angel of Yahweh. Um, but we do get these human-like creatures that show up. They People realize they're not human, but at the same time they look human. They're talked talk about being as men. Uh, there's no mention of wings ever for these angels that show up. No wings. Just down with the wings thing. Uh, Angels are walking around. They do human things. They walk around. We see them eating food. They are reporting to Yahweh. They take their orders. They can go do things. Uh, Evidently, they're allowed to make decisions. So for example, the angels, when they went into Sodom, we talked about that story not very long ago. Those angels that went into Sodom went in to judge and check it out and see what was going on, and then they made the decision to follow through with what was ordained by Yahweh. Um, we see a lot of that. Hebrews even drives, drives back the point that, hey, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospi- hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And if you read Hebrews, Hebrews actually starts out like the first two chapters of Hebrews is, is angelology. Like if you read it, it's trying to determine to these people to let them know that Jesus is above these other beings because he is God. That's Hebrews 1 and 2. There's a lot of good stuff in there. The focus is angels. We never read it as the focus of angels, but when you get in there and you start reading you're like, oh, Hebrews 1 and 2 are definitely like that. Whoever is writing these group of Hebrews, I have my theory on who it was and who he was writing to. There's this, this recognition of angels and what angels are. And at some points, you do have offshoots where people worship angels, which is not allowed. Um, we can talk a little bit about the archangels. There's different theories on this. We don't know if they are a separate class to its own, or if they're just the leaders of these angel people that we talk about that show up on earth. Um, Michael? is one that's mentioned in the Bible. He is the Prince of Israel. He's is referred to as the Prince of Israel and Daniel. And his name means who is like God. Mormons, JWs, and Seventh-day Adventists all have different views on Archangel Michael. So Mormons equate him with Jesus and Jesus' angel status. Uh, JWs do something very similar. And uh, the Seventh-day Adventists still say that he's... He's Jesus, not yet God. It gets tricky, depending on the Seventh-day Adventist you talk to. Um, I believe that Michael was the prince of Israel. And we've talked about the princes and those set above the nations. I believe that's his role. He's referred to as an archangel. Uh, The next time we meet a named angel, we get Gabriel, which means God is my man. Some people have equated God as my strength or God is my strong man. If you actually look for the Hebrew, it's kind of strange that it says God is my man. But it's also interesting that God is my man. That angel is the one that showed up to tell Mary that she's going to have God-man. And so there's a lot of different things there with Gabriel. You can debate the name a bit. And uh, in the Catholic Bible, you have one more archangel. His name is Raphael. God is healed. Uh, He's in the book of Tobit. He's also in Enoch 1, Jewish tradition actually puts Raphael as one of those angels that visited Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. So that's all speculation there based on those second temple texts. Uh, in the Judaic traditions, they add in two more, Uriel and Jeremiel, um, but we don't see those in our Bibles or the Catholic Bibles either. Um, other branches can go nuts with thoughts on angelology. I'll try to finish this up here. Uh, they try to add in things like virtues and holy ones, and I just can't find a biblical basis to go with it. Um, so I'm just not, not going to do it. Uh, some people pray to angels. I don't think you need to pray to angels. I wouldn't pray to angels. The Bible never commands us to pray to angels. Uh, I also see people, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal world, they try to command angels to do their bidding. And uh, we never see an instance in the Bible at all of humans commanding angels to do things. I don't know where people get off on that. Um, what we see is that Yahweh has this entire cast in the spiritual realm that do things for Yahweh. And some of them choose not to do things for Yahweh and go against Yahweh. Um, I would stay away from commanding angels. Some people really feel like they can do it. I personally would just stay away from commanding angels. Uh, We don't become angels. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we command, we become angels. That is a medieval view. They used to put it in art. Sometimes they put the halo on the dead person to show that they're dead in scenes. You can even see that in modern depictions in Dragon Ball Z when people die and they're in the spiritual realm, they have a little halo on their head. It's even permeated Japanese culture. That's all medieval view. We can talk about ghosts in a couple weeks. I'd like to talk about ghosts and what the Bible says about our idea of ghosts. Um, But, so this is just like, try not to do these things if you do do these things. Like some people, I see that the praying to angels is very prevalent in the New Age movement. There's certain angels that will give you protection from certain things. It's like they wanted to ignore the praying to saints part of some religions and just pray directly to these spiritual beings. If you pray directly to spiritual beings, good luck with that. I wouldn't do it. Uh, What I wanted to do today, hopefully we see, and I know it's kind of felt like maybe a biology lesson at times. The spiritual realm is vast. We can't get stuck with a view that everything is base level angels and demons. Uh, I also don't want to get stuck with this base level that people think that angels on earth can just do whatever they want. Like, Have you thought, like, these angels showed up to Abraham. They're walking around. They're eating food. They're doing physical things. Some people think like angels can just like teleport by thought and go different places and different spirits just operate like that. There seems to be physical constrictions on these spiritual beings when they're here. We get the, the ladder, Jacob's ladder, or I would call it Jacob's staircase, is probably better. Angels are going in and out of some kind of portal thing in one location, and they seem to be spreading out from there. They're they're walking and doing physical things. Sometimes we get really caught up. Now, what the, the physics of the spiritual realm is, where they are originally from, I don't know. Maybe they do do that. Maybe they're like light zooming all around, and they're battling, I don't know. That, that's all speculation, we don't know. But when they're here, there seems to be physical laws that are applied to them. They can do supernatural things while they're here, but... It's not it's not godlike. Same thing with, well, we'll talk about Satan in a few weeks. People like to say that it, you know, like it was Satan that did this, Satan that did that. Satan is one being and is not omnipresent like God. Satan has one locality, you know what I mean? So we just say like, the, you know, the devil made me do it. The devil was over here doing this. Well, his kingdom might have been over there doing this. Or it could have just been stupid humans. But, but Satan's only in one place. Does that make sense? These spiritual beings are constricted. They're not Yahweh. Yahweh is everywhere. Yahweh knows everything. These beings are not Yahweh. Jesus, when he came, took on the form of man and put himself in all of these restrictions to do what he did. That was part of his sacrifice, as he did become less to do this. So when we think about these spiritual beings, if they're not Yahweh, there are rules. We can see that there are rules. In the Bible, they, they have certain behavior. And so that was kind of where we wanted to go today. Uh, we also keep in mind, we are spiritual beings. There is spirit in us. Holy Spirit is in us. Plus, we, we have our own spirit. Um, so when we think about spiritual beings, we need to include ourselves. We fight against and with this realm daily. We do not have to know everything about it, but we should not be without the understanding of what's in the word. Uh, Team Jesus is one, and it's slowly rolling out the changes. We've talked about this to here, but not yet. Regardless of the enemies, Jesus has authority, and we're going to talk about that the next two weeks, how Jesus has authority over these different beings, where the Bible says that authority comes from. Uh, we need Holy Spirit to teach us how to participate in combating these things to do our job. And ultimately, I want to leave you with evangelism is the supreme act of warfare. It is literally the transfer of power from one kingdom to another. Does that make sense? Like it's you you are you are that is an eternal change in the power structure when another person comes to Christ, when they are joined up in God's family. And it doesn't matter any of these spiritual beings. They are now another one there. So when we think about spiritual warfare, when we think about spirits, this is what the Bible has to say about the good guys. You can go in more in depth. Honestly, this is about what they teach you at seminary is roughly an hour and a half on angels. It's what you get. I've heard multiple people teach on it. That's why oftentimes a lot of pastors and and different preachers, they don't really talk on it much because they're, they're not given much at school. Um, And you have to run counter to everything that we've been ingrained in our culture. So anyway, with that, I'm going to pray. In a couple, next week, we'll talk about the beginning of the bad guys, and we'll get into spiritual warfare aspects of it more. Um, So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We recognize you as King of Kings, as the one above all of these spiritual beings. Lord, we, we thank you for bringing us back into the family. We thank you for giving us our future, our hope in you. And we look forward to our glorified spirit being bodies ruling with you for eternity. And uh, we'll get a much better picture of all this stuff when we're there. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for what you did to establish your authority over the nations again for taking down some of these beans. Lord, we love you. We appreciate you. We're thankful for all that you do. Yahweh, we recognize you as great creator. We recognize you as the spirit above all other spirits. You are the greatest. There's none like you. And we love you. We thank you for your desire, most high, to dwell with humans and relate with humans. And I don't get it again, but I thank you for it. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would attune us closer to that spiritual realm, Help us to know what's going on in that background, in that overlaying overlaying realm or map, whatever we want to call it, that goes over ours. Help us to distinguish what's going on to do your work. We thank you, Lord, for all of these things. And in your name we pray, Jesus. May the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. Amen.